Hey everyone, this is Jen Friesen. I'm the Director of Operations and I would like to say amateur podcast host. And this is Katie Faust, Katie Faust, a professional podcast guest, <laughs> yes. but uh, still growing in my ability to host a podcast. Yes, we're growing in this together. It's been awesome. It's been fun. And this is going to be a fun episode, a bonus episode. We're going to do an Ask Katie episode. We put out... Um, you know, the question box for some questions on social media. And so we have a few quick questions to ask you. Get excited. Uh, <laughs> the first one, this is a good one to start with, is what called you to start them before us? Um, the short answer is I saw that adult desire was being prioritized above the rights and well-being of children in every single issue that has to do with marriage and family. And generally, I'm a kind of go along to get along girl I don't like to ruffle the feathers uh but when you see children suffering injustice and you know that it creates very real harm like that was enough to say okay this is worth losing friends over you know because that's really what all of us have to measure this against is social acceptability and so I decided the rights and well-being of kids mattered more than social acceptance yeah it's good and we Katie goes into this in depth in episode one of our podcast. She gives us the origin story of kind of how she felt uniquely primed to speak on this topic and how them before us as an organization started. A few different people would love to know, how does your mom feel about them before us and your work? My short answer is um, my mom knows that two men could never replace her. Like that's really the short answer. Um, and I, I don't speak for my mom. Like she could talk about this herself if she wants. She could share all of her opinions on all these things on social media platforms or whatever. So that's up to her to share what she wants to share. She There are no secrets. Like, it's not like I'm hiding what I'm doing. She knows exactly where I stand all of these on all of these things. And what is the message that I am sending? The message is mothers and fathers are not, are not optional in the life of a child. My father gave me something that my mother and her partner could not give me. That is one of the most father honoring statements that you can make. Mm -hmm. My mother gives me something that my father and his new wife could never give me. That is a very mother honoring statement. And so what we're doing at them before us is we are saying, you can't just swap in a kid's mom and dad and have zero impact on their identity, development, self-perception. And that's absolutely the case for me. Like my mother is was a great mom, first of all, like growing up, had like very high emotional intelligence, like very even keeled, um, just had some some awesome mothering instincts. And I feel like a lot of what I do naturally as a mom, I do because I'm just, I'm just repeating how she mothered me. Um, and I still, I still love her and I still need her. And um, she still like mothers me in a lot of ways. So yeah, she's irreplaceable in my life. And that literally is the message of them before us. Right. And you've talked about how you don't want to be like in the title of a podcast, be called the daughter of lesbians doesn't agree with it. You know, it's because that's kind of a way that people maybe more on the right want to use it as like a catchy, oh, look, mm -hmm. you, you are allowed to disagree because you have this experience, but you've talked at length about how significant it was that your mom and dad stayed friends we're very intentional about both being in your life still. And that made such a difference. And we know there's a lot of people who've shared their stories who maybe were raised with same-sex parents because of a sperm or egg donor. They don't have 
that positive experience or their the you know their biological mom and dad working together and still providing them those differences and maybe they don't feel like they can say it really was important to me and this is a mom and a dad honoring statement so it's pretty cool that you have that perspective all right another interesting question is how do you feel about interracial adoption mm -hmm. so the question about adoption any question about adoption begins with the best interest of the child right so it's not what's my opinion on this what's my opinion on that the question is is the placement serving the best interest of the child and so we talk about how it's not just like putting kids with any adult is the right way to go. Okay. Like you actually have to evaluate, look at that specific child and see how can we maximize their thriving? What among all of the different people who are available for adoption, what is in the best interest of the child? So at them before us, we say that there's several factors that should be considered when you're making a placement. Number one is Whenever possible, keep the child with biological relatives like aunts and uncles, grandparents, cousins, something like that so that they can still have access to their kinship network. And that helps them to um, retain their biological identity. It helps them answer the question, who am I? Because they still have contact with their first family. Um, the second consideration is whenever possible, place the child with a mom and a dad so that they can have the benefits of mothering and fathering that maximizes their development that satisfies their longing for maternal love and paternal love next prioritize married couples because marriage brings a stability to the child's life that just cohabiting is not going to prioritize then you have to look at um can the parents handle the child's special needs um, are they able to deal with the um, sibling group, right? Because that's another thing, like keep sibling groups together. And so couples that can keep a sibling group together should be prioritized in some way, right? Couples that are able to deal with the child's cleft lip or congenital heart disease, right? Uh, they should be prioritized because the child's going to need that kind of specific medical care. And so really those are the metrics that need to be taken into account. When it comes to interracial adoption, there can be some additional challenges to the child's identity formation when they are raised by a different race, a, a parents of a different race. Should it supersede all of those other things, right? Married, mom, father, biological kinship, whenever possible, able to handle the special needs of the child? No, it shouldn't. But it's not nothing, right? It's not nothing. There is an additional factor the child is going to have to work through as it relates to interracial adoption. Uh, personally, I think that you can mitigate that by recognizing it, naming it, elevating and valuing your child's birth uh, country or heritage. Mm -hmm. um, but is it the primary concern? No, it's not. And actually what we have seen right now is a shift in foster care so far away from interracial placements that it is resulting in children staying with abusive biological parents and very in, in some cases dying because they refuse to remove the child from an abusive black parent, for example, and place them with a screened, vetted white family. And as a result, the kid dies. And mm -hmm. so race is not nothing, but it is certainly not everything. Right. And so it's the best interest of the child that has to be elevated, not our ideological perceptions of, you know, 
how, how race is going to be so detrimental and so damaging if the child is placed with a family that is not their race. Right. Well, it's interesting too, if, I mean, currently in the United States, the majority uh, ethnic group is white people. So mm -hmm. if you looked at who does the most adopting, it would probably track that the majority of adoptive parents would be white because that's the majority of the population. So now if, you know, kind of the cultural mood is that, well, you should not place anyone who's not white with white parents. Okay. So now they have far less options of who can take care of the kids. And it's interesting too, that race is being elevated above male and female partnerships, right? So we talked about this in the last episode. Why are we, we have no problem with interracial marriage, but we have a problem with same sex, redefining marriage to it to be same sex marriage, because we don't see a big difference between a black man and a white man. Definitely not in terms of value, though there are differences culturally, heritage, et cetera, like you said, but we see huge differences between a man and a woman and a child deserves and needs both. So it's interesting. Our culture has elevated one and said, this is of primary importance, even to the detriment of children. And they're kind of ignoring and downplaying the other, which leads perfectly into our, another question. What do you think, or, you know, what's them before us as position on same sex couples adopting children? Mm -hmm. Same thing. So again, it's not what's our position. It's what is in the best interest of the child. And so there are a lot of considerations there. So you've got, you know, place them with biological relatives where possible, mother and father whenever possible, because that maximizes their development, right? Two men are not going to be able to give the child the same thing as a mom and dad are going to give the child. Marriage, being able to handle their special need, keep sibling groups together, all of that, right? Now, in our country, there are more than enough heterosexual married couples that want to adopt white drug-free infants or drug-free infants in general. Mm -hmm. It's not hard to find married mothers and fathers who want to do that. When you're talking about older children, sibling groups, special needs kids, kids who are in overseas institutions who are older or suffer from really significant medical conditions, there aren't enough heterosexual married moms and dads who are willing to take on those cases. And so sometimes the best placement for a child might be a single mom or two dads or two moms. And I would say, you know, for the audience members who say, how could you say that? No child should be placed with two men or two women. The answer to that is then go get them. Mm -hmm. Go get the kids. Go get the kids that nobody wants. Go get the disabled kids. Go get the ones in sibling groups. Go get the ones that have been in foster care for four years, eight years. Go get them, right? It's not cut them off for anybody that is willing to take on the hard cases. It is you take on the hard case. Right. We say that adoption, uh, the client is the child, not the adults. It's not adults shopping for a kid, um, but it's whatever is, yeah, serving the child the best. And so that's why we don't, at them before us, don't have hard and fast rules about these are the people who are allowed to adopt and these are the people who are not. And I like that you included single individuals as well, because it's kind of the same thing. There might be, I have uh, some friends where they're single individuals, but they were able to take a sibling group you know, that was, that has a lot of challenges. And so it's been very impressive to watch this person sacrifice for those children. And it's been really cool. And so you just realize, yeah, there's a lot of people who are willing to do that. And we at them before us always applaud adults who are sacrificing for children. Do you think things will change positively 
legally in the United States. So our kids, so think about those next generations are going to have better lives. I don't know. The, the reality is that um, who children are, what they need, where they come from will never change. Reality will not change. The question is, will our law, our culture, and our technology reflect those child realities or not? Now, um, I think that there is quite a bit of hope because we see these child-centric arguments that we're making at them before us. We see the kind of impact that it has on the way people think about marriage and family issue. We see that we have been able to impact laws and policy at the national level, whether it's in the United States or overseas or at the state level. Um, and we can see that when people, policymakers look at things from the perspective of the child, their mindset shifts. So I really do think that it has to do with A, are we able to get this message to more people? Um, and then I think that it's a matter of courage, right? Do we have the courage to value and defend children above our own social acceptance? Because to me, that's that is that's the trade-off. We understand it is unpopular. And you know, when I'm about to go on a podcast of some organization that may not be like a hardcore conservative or a hardcore pro-family podcast, I say to them, I want you to think long and hard before having me on your podcast. Think about it because you're gonna lose subscribers. You're gonna lose donors, okay? Think about whether or not you're, you're ready to accept that cost because this will cost you something. And I think we, we have the truth we have the right message. We have the right method of communicating that message. So the question really is, are people going to be courageous enough to value children above their own social acceptance? Increasingly, I think the answer is going to be yes, because um, I think that the left has, the, the train has almost run to the end of the tracks when it comes to the weaponization of isol isolating us calling us names. I mean, most of these terms that they use, um, you know, racist, bigot, transphobe, homophobe, whatever, like they have just lost their meaning because they have been so wrongly applied for the purpose of social conformity. And I think a lot of people are just saying, those words don't mean anything to me. You can't do anything to me anymore. I, I reject that. Like, I'm just going to say what I think is true. So I do think that that is happening in general. So can we take this message? Do we have the courage? And then can we start applying it in all the different spheres of our life, you know, our whatever community that we are in on behalf of kids? Um, reality won't change. Are we going to advocate on behalf of that reality or not? I think more and more people will be willing to. Good. This is kind of a follow-up to that, but do you have a recommendation on how to sustain marriage in modern society? That's how the person phrased the question. And I guess think about there people listening. So you've got people who are married, people who are single, people who are divorced. And then probably the majority of people listening are just kind of typical people, not necessarily, they're not like policymakers or lawmakers, or you don't, most of us don't feel like we really have any power. So what do we, what can we do to sustain or protect or help marriage be healthy again, would you say? So if you want to talk about your own personal marriage, um, a lot of it is who you surround yourself with. So there actually is um, studies that show that um, 
if you have friends who divorce, you're more likely to divorce yourself. The divorce functions in some ways as a social contagion. And that's not to say don't have any divorced friends. Like a lot of our friends who are experiencing divorce are experiencing it as a no fault divorce and it's against their will and they really need support and love. But who you surround yourself with does impact your own thoughts and your own behavior. So try, seek to have your closest friends also value marriage also be working through their challenges and marriage is challenging like i'm in a very good marriage i mean really i i feel we are so blessed i am we are 25 years married um we went through a rough patch 2017 2018 was not awesome like that was probably a year or two where we felt more like enemies like i would tense up and i'd get ready to fight you know when he came home from work um and that took some realignment for us um and so we had friends around us who we were able to open up with and kind of really be honest with. We did go to some intense marriage counseling that kind of checked our alignment and made sure that we were in alignment. The challenge with marriage is um, it's really not who you are. It's not really who you are. It is what do you value? What do you value? What And the, what you value should be what you vowed. What you vowed, right, was to stay, to remain committed despite all of these forces. Some of them are listed in the vows, richer, poorer, sickness, health, better, worse, right? Those forces seek to tear you apart. Um, and so you have to value the vow above your current circumstances, above your feelings, whatever it is. Having community around you is really gonna help with that. Um, the challenge about marriage, well, there's so many, um, is in a lot of ways, the person that I married, Ryan, is totally the same guy. And in a lot of ways, he's a totally different guy. <laughs> in a lot of ways, I am uh, very much the same as I was when I was 22 and we got married. And in a lot of ways, I am a totally different person than I was when I was 22. And so that vow allows you to hold fast, even though both of you guys are changing in a lot of different ways. Um, so I would say you've got to have good community. Um, You've got to be able to check your alignment. You've got to be able to bring other people in if there's a struggle. Um, but then, you know, you get on the other side of it and it is, it produces joy. It's a, it, it produces wealth. I mean, just like, you know, like both of us, like financially, we were able to get through so much because we stayed together. Um, it produces this superstructure of connectivity, both generationally, you know, upward in our generation, downward in our generation. When marriages fracture, um, the ripple effects go out in all directions. So um, it is a massive like community building relationship too. So anyway, long winding answer. Pers I think that personally, um, that is probably where the work needs to be done most. It's just you, your life, your marriage. Yeah, it's great. Okay, and then final question for, for this Ask Katie episode. Someone wanted to know how they could help. Where do they start on a smaller scale to support them before us? I always say the place to start is to become an expert. You should know more about this than everybody else in your life. We are going to do what we can to make you an expert. That is certainly one of the purposes of this podcast. The book is probably the best resource in terms of making yourself an expert. We, uh, It is as comprehensive as we can make. Each of those chapters should have been their own book, but we did what we could to pare it down and make it as concise as possible. The footnotes are lit. 
like massive amounts of studies and stories and follow-ups. Um, so it should be close to bottomless when it comes to seeking answers to a lot of the questions. So first of all, be an expert and we are doing what we can to help you do that. Definitely follow our work because we are going to have all kinds of other things that are coming out. Um, a small group curriculum, video curriculum that should hopefully debut in January that you can do in your church or just a small group in your home. Um, you certainly could do a little small group in your home with our PDF study for the book. Um, we are going to have hopefully an ambassador training program that launches maybe sometime next year. Um, there's just a lot that's coming up that we're going to try to do a better job of giving very tangible ways for you to um, get involved and connected. Definitely follow us on social media. It doesn't feel like a big thing, but actually you sharing, you commenting, you contributing, right? Insights that you have, things that you've seen in your world, experiences that you've lived through um, really does advance the mission, right? You are you are there building a child-centric witness on social media and showing people, exposing them to these ideas that the reality is there's not a lot of other people that are looking at all these things from a child-centric way. And it really does flip on the light bulb a lot of the time. So um, things that you can be doing now, be an expert, get connected to us, subscribe, um, and, and just stay in touch because there will be more. Yeah. That's great. Katie doesn't want to say it, but I don't have a problem saying you can donate money to them for us too. You can be a monthly donor. Uh, we have different groups of people who give at different levels, but that is an essential, the, the ability to do this for a job and travel and for Katie to, to go to speak to, so like you said, your professional podcast uh, guest, so much of that um, is because people have supported us. And like you've talked about, people were supporting us before we had staff, before we had, you know, the podcast and the book and those sorts of things. And so we're always so grateful for the people that are supporting us in that way. In addition to all these so, other, go ahead. I'll jump in and say, um, when people say like, what do you need? Um, I, I'm like, I, we are so, I am overwhelmed at our level of influence. Like, I almost tell people, we don't need any more opportunities. We we have so much influence. I mean, like we are on the organizing committee for Jordan Peterson's new global project. Um, we are going to be a dominant voice in that realm when it comes to shaping how the delegates, how the other leaders, um, how the organization moving forward and the network moving forward thinks about marriage and family. It is such massive influence. You know, we are collaborating with focus on the family and the Colson Center, I was going to say next month, but it's really in a couple of weeks yeah. with a couple of huge projects that they have going on. Um, we are working, I'm, I think I can say it, but like, I'm going to be on Tim Pool's podcast in a couple of weeks. Like we have access to so many platforms. We are influencing the influencers. We, our message has gone so far, so fast. And what we need right now is manpower. Yeah. We need staff. Like we are busting at the seams in terms of opportunities to share and spread our message. And we simply need more staff scaffolding to manage all of it. Um, this can go as far as we have people to, to distribute it. And so um, if you are thinking about donating, it is, it is urgently needed. And I swear, I promise you, we will change the world with your money. Yeah. Awesome. 
Thanks so much for your time, Katie, for answering questions. And thank you all for listening. We hope you enjoyed it. And thank you for joining the movement. Before Us podcast. Make sure you head over to thembeforeus.com to find us on social media, sign up for our newsletter, donate, and more. Thanks for joining the movement. Whether you are religious or irreligious, whether you are single, married, gay, or straight, if you are defending the rights of children, you are one of us. Thanks for joining this global movement to put them the children before us, the adults. Mm-hmm.